Hello and welcome to the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is the author of Lasting Happiness, The Nature of Religion, and Rotting in the Bangkok. Rotting in Bangkok. I think I messed up that title. What is that? I'm going to interrupt it and ask you, what is the title of the third book? Uh, Rotting in the Bangkok Hilton. Yes, and the, I wanted you to say that because I thought the title was uh, so and so in. So terrible and so interesting. I, I knew something was cut off in the bio, so I just wanted you to share that right away. Okay, I'm going to continue. Um, he became a gemologist after college, working in the jewelry industry for years. He traveled widely in Europe and Asia, where he lived for over a decade. While living in northern Thailand, a friend murdered a woman in his house. Fearful of the Thai police, he helped cover it up. When he was caught, he could not pay the bribe. The judge and the police demanded and spent the next 16 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Lasting happiness is the product of that experience, a realization of how little we really need to be happy. Welcome to the show, T.M. Hoy. Thank you very much, Matt. I'm really happy to, uh, and I'm honored to uh, be a guest on your show. It's great to have you on the show when I'm not sure who, who it was who reached out. I, I looked at your story and I was like, oh my goodness. That is so crazy. I have traveled Southeast Asia. I've traveled Thailand. And one of the things that they, uh, some of the travelers would say is we're going to go to the prison um, because there's a lot of uh, expats. There's, there's a lot of people. Some of them are in those jails for good reason. Some of them are there for not so good a reason or not legit because it is a, it's a whole different universe over there. It's very, very intense. And the conditions are super intense. I have no idea uh, firsthand, I just heard stories and I've seen some movies and documentaries. And um, so, man, what a what a crazy experience that must have been. Why don't you just uh, give the listeners a little bit of uh, your background and, and what you're up to today and we'll get into your books and all that kind of stuff. Okay, great. Thank you, Matt. Uh, as far as my background, I'm pretty straightforward. Um, I was raised in an upper middle class home in Northern California and moved to Southern California when I was a teenager. Um, both of my parents were educators. Uh, dad was a superintendent of school districts. Mom was principal, high school. And uh, most people in my family are professional folks. And um, I went through the college routine and, and kind of decided that I was enjoying jewelry more. So I went into jewelry, became a gemologist, um, worked in that industry. And uh, part of that was traveling overseas to buy gemstones and then set them in jewelry and sell that. And that's how I ended up in Thailand. Uh, I traveled extensively in Asia and then also in Europe. And um, the problem, of course, with Thailand is that uh, the society itself is rather corrupt. And uh, the police behave kind of like a mafia. And what happened uh, was I had a friend that I was responsible for him. I was a fiscal conservator. And he was always getting in arguments with my, my girlfriend. And uh, they had a terrible argument one day. I was out of town and uh, he strangled her. So I come back to my house and this, is, this happened in the morning and I come back in the evening and discovered that this has occurred. So I wasn't really thinking all that clearly. Um, I began drinking and I was terrified of the police. And uh, make a long story short, rather than go to the police and risk torture, I said, all right, I'll, I'll help you cover it up. And uh, the, that decision cost me 16 years of my life. But along that journey, from that experience, 
which really was more about me facing myself and facing death on a daily basis. And from that emerged some really profound truths for many, many people when they go through that experience of uh, Thai prison or, or any foreign prison, a lot of them become drug addicts because drugs are cheap and easily available in Southeast Asian prisons. And a lot of people go crazy and a lot of people die. But if you're willing to really look inside yourself, if you're willing to challenge who you are, and I, I was not a person that I was proud of being, I was not a good person. And that experience kind of shook me to my foundations and it strips everything away from you because there's nothing left. It's just you and reality and there is nothing between you. And if you dare to look at yourself at that point, if you really can, it, there's a clarity that comes from that. And what I learned at that point was quite simple, that we really need very little to be happy. That happiness emerges from our relationships with each other, with yourself primarily. And that insight um, led me down a very different pathway and ultimately to the book, uh, Lasting Happiness. So that's kind of a, a background. Um, what I'm doing right now, I guess if you, you know, everybody likes to describe themselves or I, I'd say that I'm just an author. Um, I'm a survivor and I'm somebody that's working hard to change the world. And um, I'm a director, one of the directors of a charity called speakingfromtheheart.org. And um, what it does is we're trying to help teach people how to walk the path with heart, how to find that path and walk it. And the path with heart in its simplest terms is when you find what you love and what is your great passion and you marry that with your values and your visions. And that is the path that I think makes a life worth living. So that kind of uh, is a summary of uh, my story, I guess. <laughs> Holy moly, man. Well, you, you glossed over 16 years, but what, a, what an incredible experience that must have been. And I, I can't even imagine how challenging that would be. And I'm glad when I was reading the intro, I, something had got cut off because I knew it was like the Bangkok uh, Hilton, <laughs> which is a hilarious name for what would have been an absolutely – awful experience i can only imagine so i guess let's let's dive in a little bit there because your first book is is talking about some of that experience and then mm -hmm. building in the relationship yourself and, and what you realized you know when you're talking it reminds me a little bit of victor frankl's book man's search mm -hmm. for meaning and it mm -hmm. also reminds me of into the wild which mm -hmm. which people kind of come to the same ideas and i think in personal development and self-help we come to those ideas relationship to the self how do we how do we improve that so i guess my first question is um, going through that experience in the prison, like, can you describe maybe not in detail, like how hard it was, because you said something where you were talking about facing death on a daily basis. And I've had several near death experiences. And the only thing that I'm doing close right now is doing night training where I go to the scariest place that I can find in the forest. And I've been doing this for the last couple of years of just going into dark forests and just being afraid of it. And it's kind of <laughs> like that in a little bit, yours would be way more magnified. And in doing that, I am getting insights and experiences and, and, and perspectives of just by being afraid and 
immersing myself in that. So can you describe a little bit what daily life was like and like what it means to be facing death on a daily basis? And, sure. and then how did you get to the space where, cause you probably didn't start out too happy. How did it no. begin to transition and, and come to a space where you could be in that environment and somehow be happy? I'm so curious. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I guess the easiest way to describe it would be as imagine if you will being trapped in a giant stone box or a concrete box and um, the water uh, generally was drained directly from really polluted rivers. So the water was very dangerous. It was filled with all kinds of chemicals, dead animals, just nasty stuff. And so you had to strain and boil the water to drink it. And um, you had to pay bribes for everything because what they gave you for food wasn't really food. Even the feral cats that inhabited the prison wouldn't eat it. Uh, and it actually would kill people sometimes. The Thais would uh, take the rice that was given to them, which was a kind of really coarse rice, and they'd reboil it and cook it again. But even having done, done that, still the rice was so tough that oftentimes as it went through your intestines, um, it would poke holes in your intestine. And what happens is you develop a disease called peritonitis, which is where um, basically the, the, all the nasty stuff in your guts leaks out into your stomach cavity and you bloat up and then it crushes your internal organs and it's a horrible death. And I watched a lot of people die from that. Um, so you can't eat the food, you have to pay bribes. You can't drink the water, you gotta pay bribes to get water. Uh, your daily life is surrounded by people that are either junkies or uh, slaves because they basically, the ties would take people and force them into slave labor. And um, death was constant because there was so many diseases and they had no medicines because they didn't have any money to pay for them. So people were dying from tuberculosis. People were dying from uh, AIDS. People were dying from starvation people were dying from peritonitis people would you know you get a cut on your face and if you don't have money for uh, uh, antibiotics your face is going to swell up that was one near-death rush i had um i cut myself shaving and right before the holiday season of the new year there the Songkran festival um which is held in the spring everybody leaves and there are no police there. There are no guards. Uh, there's just what are called blue boys, which are trustees running the prison. And so there was no one to bribe to go get antibiotics. And um, my face swelled up like a pumpkin. And I thought for sure I was done just from a shaving cut with, with dirty water. And uh, I ended up surviving that. They got back in time, thank God. And I got antibiotics. But um, to get back to the daily routine. So that was the circumstances. There was violence there, not uh, that much, but um, you know, there were gambling debts, there were drug debts, and um, an explosive fury would sometimes grip people because there was no one there to take their rage out on. And so they'd just you know, kill each other sometimes. And uh, so that's what I was surrounded by. And, you know, you mentioned um, going into the forest to experience fear and all that. One thing I think would be a really valuable experience for you and for anyone would simply be to go to places where people are dying 
And this is like a cancer ward at a hospital, maybe volunteer at an old age home, and just spend a little time with people who are right there at the door. Because what that does is that gives you that sense of just how precious our mortality is and just how precious life is. And it puts things in real clarity. It, it will clarify your values and your vision. And um, it, it isn't so much a fear thing as it is an understanding of the fact that we will die. And we are very good at, at ignoring that or putting that aside in our minds. Um, if you face it clearly, it, it, it can be transformative. But uh, so that kind of is an overview. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, holy crap. I'm just imagining it because again, I, I was there, you know, I've been to those countries and, and I heard some stories. So I'm kind of putting myself in the front row seat. When, so when you're in this like place, right. And, and you're experiencing all these different things, it's so easy in our society to become addicted to, you know, drugs are a huge problem. People are addicted to all different types of things. People are addicted to social media. Now they're addicted to, uh, you know, their ego and like how we're perceived and all that kind of fun stuff. We're addicted to opiates. Kids are getting all messed up. So what for you, like, was it easy to like find strength to like not want to numb yourself? I feel like I don't even know if I would be strong enough for that experience. You know, I, I feel like I'm pretty strong mentally, but holy crap, man, like that's what you only know once you're in it. And I think it's like something like war in the army and stuff like that. And a lot of different things is like, you don't know what you're made of until you're faced with that. You know, are you going to cave? Are you going to look for a way out? And I think that in our society, we look to numb a lot. And so can you talk about like, was it a turning point or anything that had happened where you kind of switched to happiness, like an insight or an epiphany or an experience where like you're facing this on a daily basis and you get to the place where you can actually be content in that experience? Like, Sure. Um, I think, well, to, before I reached that point, um, I nearly died several times in Northern Thai prison because the conditions were so terrible. And each time that that happened, I grew closer and closer and closer to kind of like a spiritual feeling and understanding because I realized that death is not the end that there is something that survives, some kind of consciousness survives. I just felt that very, very strongly. And um, for example, the first time I almost died was because the guards found out that um, there was only one thing I could eat that they had available, which was these banana bread muffins that the Thai Chinese prisoners were smuggling in. And so the guards were like, ah, oh, we can pressure this guy. We can get, you know, the money out of him. And uh, so they cut off the muffin supply. They told the Chinese, don't bring those in, don't sell those to him. And so I went two weeks without food and I got very close, very close uh, to death at that point because um, of the radical change of, you know, the long period where I'm eating very poorly and then no food at all. And um, so what happened was the the veil kind of becomes thin. And um, I realized that, I don't know, it was, it was a very strange experience, but it was like an understanding that I knew that this world is not the... I, it's almost like a quantum mechanics type thing that you get from physics where you understand that reality is not the solid thing that we believe it to be, that it is much more tentative and that there is a different reality. 
and that it is very close to us, but that we very rarely touch it or get in touch with it. And that was one of the first experiences. But I had several other ones, and each one kind of led me a little bit closer. Each time I kind of brushed death and got more familiar with it, it became less threatening. And the the, the churning point, I think, happened on the trip down um, from Northern Thai prison to Bangkok. And what happened was I was in a van with uh, one of the Hill Tribe people. And the Hill Tribe guys are fascinating people. They, they have never experienced anything like civilization. Most of them have never seen a car or concrete or electricity. They live in the forests in Northern Thailand. And um, the thing about the Hill Tribe people is most of them don't even speak Thai. They speak English because of the tourists that visit them on elephant treks, but they don't speak Thai generally. And um, they're wonderful people. They're so generous and kind and giving. And this guy didn't even know what his sentence was. He didn't even understand really what his sentence was for. So I read his court papers because I could struggle through Thai. And I explained to him that he had a life sentence, which for the Hill Tribe people means that you're cut off from all your social circle because they're all illiterate. They don't speak or read or write. I mean, they, they can speak uh, their own language and English brokenly, but they don't read and write in a way that they could communicate with each other. And family is everything there. And so basically what the news I was giving him was that he was cut off forever from the people that he loved and would spend the rest of his life in prison far, far away. And his response was, he was concerned for me <laughs> because I was obviously so deeply upset by this. And he was like, he was like, it's okay. It's all right. And he pointed at the sky and it was like, look, sun's still shining. It's okay. Don't trip. <laughs> and that was so amazing to me that here I am with this guy that just received this unbelievably horrible news. And his response was, I'm concerned for you. I, are you okay? <laughs> are you, are you going to be all right with this? And I realized I had an epiphany at that point that, wow, that, that there is this, I, I, it was just incredible to, to be confronted with somebody who was so stoic and so at peace and so content with themselves and, and that they were able to rise above that without even blinking an eye and that they were cool and that, that you know, life goes on. It's going to be okay. And um, at that point, I really had to question my values and my ideas about reality because I'm like, wow, this guy is just light years beyond anything that I've ever experienced. And he's just a Hill Tribes guy. And um, that was really a turning point for me. Yeah. Holy crap, man. I can't even imagine that. The closest thing I can even um, relate to is when I was in Nepal and I was meditating with monks and I wanted to learn more about Buddhism and wanted to be enlightened and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And when I would ask, I would have conversations. I was teaching English in the morning and I was having conversations with older monks at night because they want to practice their English. I was learning about Buddhism and philosophy and asking them questions and we were having great conversations. And I would always ask them really difficult questions. And one of those questions, I was like, well, what if somebody like, uh, you know, rapes and kills my sister? If they do that and I figure out who that is, my immediate reaction is going to be to want to harm that person. That is exactly the thing I'm going to want to do. I don't know if I'll do it. I probably won't because I don't want the repercussions, but that's mm -hmm. what I'm going to want to do. Um, so if we're faced with something like that, what would you do? What would you recommend or suggest? And um, 
he took a pause and I love the, the Buddhism, you know, is, and in Nepal anyway, because there's different types of Buddhism, but especially with the Tibetan monks in Nepal, no matter who I got and was spoke to, they always really listened to the question and then answered and they would all answer congruent, but they would always think and they would ponder and they would give such beautiful responses. Nothing was like automatic or, or very set, you know, it was mm-hmm. very real. So after about a two minute silence, he looks at me and he says, you know, that would be an awful experience. And, and I don't wish that experience upon anyone. And if that happened to be to me, it would be my job to figure out a way to show that person a love and compassion. He didn't say I was going to do it. He didn't say I will do it. He would just say, I would try to do that. And then in your story, the guy is, is receiving this news and is immediately doesn't even phase him. And it's so interesting what you're saying about where he comes from, the Hill Tribe. I've been trying to learn a lot more about uh, Native American and Indigenous cultures. I have a mentor, David Lone Bear, who I speak about a lot. And, and being now I'm meeting more Native Americans, learning about their history, learning about their way of life, learning about the history. It's so fascinating. And I'm reminded of another story. Um, you know, when I went down to the Mayan uh, uh, fire ceremony in Guatemala. Um, one of the elders there, Carlos Barrios, was telling me the story about how he had created an elders gathering in like 95 or 2005 and everybody came and, and he said one of these elders, he became like the favorite guy and he was so much fun and such a good dude. Apparently this guy lived in the, in the forest no water, no, like exactly like you're talking about. And so when he had a shower at, at Carlos's house, he's like, this water's dead. And he went and go found other water and showered and then came back. And what a different way of life that would be. What a different experience. What a connection with spirit, right? Nature is spirit. And, and how powerful would that be? It would be, you know, we would have no understanding. And that's the relationship with, you know, universe, spirit, God, nature, source. So unbelievable stuff. I could kind of continue, but I'm so curious. I want, I want you to either add on to that. And my other two follow-up questions would be, did you uh, – keep in touch with this this guy and learn f- more from him and see how his experience went and if he was able to maintain that type of philosophy and do you have any other uh, stories like that any very powerful stories that were transformational or 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 anything similar like that because that was that was amazing thank you um unfortunately no um we were separated when we reached bangkok and so i i don't know what happened to him um i know that very often um, the Hill Tribe people often die of homesickness um, and they just decide that they're going to leave their body and they leave, the, their spirit goes. Um, they don't usually live very long. Um, it, it varies quite a bit, of course, uh, but that's the, that's the average. But no, unfortunately, I, I lost touch with him. Uh, but as far as other experiences, absolutely. I had some amazing things happen while I was there. There was a very dear friend of mine um, uh, he's uh, from Austria and he was like a brother to me, uh, uh, Thomas Kartner, um, uh, but Tom, uh, he goes by Tom. And we were studying shamanism together. And I don't know, are you familiar with the book, The Urban Shaman by Kahili King? It sounds familiar, but I can't say I know for sure. If you ever get a chance, get your hands on a copy. I think you'd enjoy it. Well, we were studying and going through the phases and, um, you know, uh, that the book recommends. And it's based on Hawaiian shamanism. It's very light, very peaceful, uh, very positive, a wonderful book. And um, from that emerged some very, very strange experiences about reality. 
Um, I'm trying to think of one that would be representative. Well, I'll tell you one that would, that's in this, that's a story that's in the book, uh, Rotting in the Bangkok Hilton, uh, which is just a series of stories actually that I experienced there. Um, we were in, uh, also reading the books by Carlos Castaneda, the Don Juan series. You're familiar with those, right? Okay. One of the books is called The Journey to Ixlam, which is about a journey to an imaginary city that doesn't really exist. And we were in a field um, that's right by the front gate where all these people are coming and going all day long. And we sat there and we're talking and um, we were smoking a little bit of really, really good Thai stick. And we began meditating and imagining and visualizing that journey to Ixlan. And we sat and just chatted and just relaxed through the whole day. And uh, we watched people run up and down. The, and we're like, I, I have to give you an idea. This is um, from where we sat on the lawn to the path was where people walked in and out of the prison was about four feet away. And the other side, the entire width of the prison uh, of these buildings is only about 150 feet. And so there's people coming in and out, in and out of this building all day long, hundreds. The prison building itself that we were in held about a thousand people. And so we're sitting right there, right in front of the guard shack the whole day, just chatting, relaxing, and smoking a little tie stick, imagining the journey to Ixlan. Okay, so the end of the day comes, everybody's getting ready to be locked away at four o'clock in the afternoon. We go and get our shower. And the other people that we shared our little cubicle area with were freaking out because they had been trying to find us the entire day. And they said, where were you guys? We looked everywhere for you. The missionaries were here. They dropped off supplies, blah, 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 blah. And unbelievably, that imaginary journey that we took to Ixlan, we were invisible. We had people walking four feet away from us. We watched them walk up and down and they didn't see us. And that was amazing. And it was just one example of how powerful shamanism can be and just how strange reality is. And so um, it was incredible. That was a very incredible experience to know that we had experienced Invisibility, which is so peculiar because it was completely relaxed and, and effortless. And so much of shamanism is like that, where you have to approach it in the right frame of mind. But reality is just not what we think it is. Um, I know that's not very emotionally moving, but it, was, uh, it happened. And there was a lot of other strange things like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, what it reminds me of is the movie, the men who stare at goats. And, you know, I put on my like quantum physics hat and, and hear uh -huh. of all these really interesting stories and interesting theories. And the thing that I think that you said that's important is like you were fully immersed in this experience. So that's mm -hmm. the reality that you were focused on. And, and maybe it was so intense at that point where, you know, you almost become invisible and, you know, even looking at like magic and, and Darren Brown and things like that. And, and how like, you know, you're so engaged in something else. It's like shutting off all, almost maybe all those other like radar pieces that we pick up consciously, you know, it's just like shutting them down where you're totally in your own space. They're yeah. seeing you, but they're not seeing you. You know what I mean? It's right. just like this 
whatever's being created by you is much more important than anybody else wanting you to rope, you know, be roped into your reality. Right. And so, you know, that's where things can get a little bit squirrely. And, you know, you touched <laughs> on a lot of things with, with, you know, your near death experience as well. And, and getting closer and closer to like the veil and of the other side and thinning. And I think that's a, a really important point for people is to understand that life isn't, um, you know, when you die, it's, it's not, it's not done. And I think that that's what so many people are afraid of for me, you know, I know it in my bones and in my cell, but, but, you know, maybe nothing happens, but I, I have like, you know, almost zero doubt. Like it, I've had that experience a few times where, you know, facing death and my experiences doing that and also some meditative experiences or life experiences where it's like this energy or this force or this experience mm-hmm. or this awareness that is so far beyond anything you could imagine that mm-hmm. you just know that there is this other thing and it mm-hmm. gives you a little bit of a sense of peace. And so now what I'd like to ask is I'm curious about what your advice is to be happy to to have lasting happiness because in our culture in our society it's always kind of like a get more do more be more and mm-hmm. people have terrible self-worth they have uh, terrible self-esteem they're always looking to acquire we're really stuck on a lot of materialism and gaining and there's there's never enough and you know mm-hmm. we're always looking at you know half empty it seems in a society basis so and it can be hard to change. So what would you recommend to people to just experiencing real and genuine happiness on a daily basis, regardless of what their circumstances are? Because, you know, when you do the comparison test, you know, I was like, all right, I was in a Thailand prison and was able to be content. Can you be content as a middle class? And maybe you got a few bills to pay because we all do. But right. like you're, the friend you met from the Hill Tribe, like the sun is shining. There is a big picture and we tend to focus on those negative things. I do anyway a lot. And I know that a lot of the people I talk to kind of have that habitual thing too, is to look at what we don't have. Or I'm not looking at the house that I'm in and the car that I'm driving right now. You know what I mean? And I'm fine now. I'm stressed about all these other things that may or may not happen, probably won't happen. Um, <laughs> but I can stress about them all day and ruin this one. So um, maybe you can speak on that a little bit. Absolutely. I'd love to. I think that people need to realize that happiness doesn't come from wealth. It doesn't come from power. It doesn't come from status. It doesn't come from fame. It doesn't come from beauty. It doesn't come from youth. All the things that our society puts out there as being valuable contribute almost nothing to happiness. Anybody that looks at the lives of the celebrities will instantly see that this is true. If you look at how many unhappy wealthy people there are, how many unhappy celebrities there are, you can, you, and people know this, people sense this. Happiness comes when your relationships with yourself and with others are healthy and nurturing. That's where it comes from. And it begins with your relationship with yourself, which is also very, very, very simple. It's not that difficult. You need to pause. You need to really examine your values and your vision and then move forward and act on those. If you can do that, if you can pause and listen to the inner voice, which we all have, you can do this. You can find happiness because happiness comes when you forgive yourself and you really actually come to love yourself. 
And doing that, and I give all the tools and techniques in the book for, for how you do this, all really the latest science, all the latest technology, um, you know, the best stuff out of medicine and science and so forth. It took me 12 years of research to find all these tools and techniques. But the essence of it is very simple, and that is simply to slow down and listen to your intuition, listen to that inner voice again, and realize that what matters to you, what really matters, what's really important, often has nothing to do with what you're doing on a daily basis. The things that really matter, your life goals, the things that you care about, the things that are the most important to you, often receive the least attention. And if you can shift your focus to where you're focusing on the things that really matter to you, you do the things that you love, you do the things you're passionate about, and you surround yourself with the people you respect and love and care for. And if you do that, you have a radical shift. And now, regardless of what your financial situation is, regardless of what other things are happening in your life, happiness begins to emerge because you're healing your relationship with yourself, you're healing your relationship with others, and that's what leads to lasting happiness. And if anybody thinks about it just for a moment, you realize that, that look, think about when you're happiest. You're happiest when you're doing something that you're passionate about, that you love. You're happiest when you're surrounded with people you love and respect. That's when you're happy. And that, that is what is lasting happiness, is healthy, nurturing relationships, starting with the one with yourself. And again, has nothing to do with financial circumstances. I think if you look around the world, the happiest people tend to be those that have really strong connections and strong networks of friends and loved ones and um, material things. Once you get past, you have to have your basic needs met, of course, that's standard. But once you get past the basic needs, wealth has almost no impact at all on real happiness. That's a beautiful answer. And I agree with that. I, I feel the same way. One of the examples that I share and think about is the average individual in our culture and our society, we need to, we need money to survive. There's, there's no doubt about that. We're figuring that out pretty much. You, most of the world is upper or middle or, or I mean, middle or lower class. Everybody mm -hmm. needs more money. Most, some people have so much money and they're still unhappy. You know, that's not the thing. Um, but a lot of people are, would like more say that's the thing, but the thing, that I'd like for people to consider is the idea that, you know, you go about your week or your month or your year and you're doing this job and you're doing this task and you do it over and over and over again uh, for weeks, for months, for years, and sometimes a lifetime. And you put a hundred percent of your time to acquiring enough money for safety and security, which in your mind is never enough. Mm -hmm. And you don't dedicate any time to what you're passionate about, what you want to learn about, how, you, how do you want to experience life? What's your bucket list? What's most important to you? What are your values? All of those really, really important questions about living. And so I invite people to just consider, even if you could do 10%, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You want to work 60 hours a week, just make sure that now you start adding 10% and then over time, maybe 15 and then next month, 20% and then 30%. You know, if you're working nine to five, you got time after to, to read a book or, or do piano or do some art or learn about something or, or engage your mind. And the other thing I like to, for people to consider is that, you know, your dreams in your life is a long game. You know, mm -hmm. you've got your whole life to create that thing. So be grateful for the job you have. Just don't, 
drop your dreams completely. Don't drop the things that you're passionate about completely. And it seems that, you know, it's like we get weighed down by this weight of, of culture. It's like, oh, well, you know what I mean? That was old. I can't think about what I would like to do or, you know, who I am. It's like, these are important things. I feel like people are just, um, you know, dropping. And so when mm-hmm. you say it's like, it gives the least attention for sure. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's um, no attention at all. And so what I'm curious about, something that I, I feel like I try to improve and I think that people experience is like, how do we be happy with where we are in the process or with what we have without changing anything in the external circumstance? And so, you know, um, for me, it might be like, oh, you know, when I have financial security and I know that all the bills are paid and I have this car or whatever, and I can travel around more, then I'll be happy. Or, you know, a lot of the time when I was younger, I was like, oh, when I read this book, then, I, then I'll have more of an idea of what an enlightenment is and I'll be happier. When I read these 30 books and I do these 30 <laughs> personal development courses on happiness, then I'll be happy. Now, it's helped for sure, um, but it seems like we're always trying to change our environment in some way to then be happy when you were in an environment where you are not changing that and it Mm -hmm. is terrible. And so what do you recommend to, to get to that kind of space or that idea to feel it genuinely? And I'll just leave with, leave, leave with that one. Okay. It's pretty (laughs) straight. It's really straightforward, Matt. Uh, And I think that people, if they can just pause, you know, and listen to the, to that inner voice. Again, I, I go back to this inner journey. Um, and what it really boils down to is you got you have to you really have to have a dialogue with yourself the deep part of yourself you have to open that conversation up with a part of yourself that's wordless it doesn't use words it, it it's the part of us that dreams and the part of us that uses images and visions and so you have to be kind of gentle because this part of ourself we tend to abuse, especially in the West, where we're not on good terms with our inner self. We're not on good terms with our intuition. And so you, if you pause and you open a conversation with that dreaming self and you kind of, you know, let it, it, it takes a little bit of time and it takes some patience. But ultimately what will happen is that you open a conversation with this part of yourself and you come to the realization that it's not that difficult, that what needs to change is you have to listen to the part that's still wild. You have to have a relationship with that part of yourself that's still wild. And when you do that, now your intuition will begin to guide you. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that our consciousness, we're so focused on this in the West, especially that our consciousness and our rational mind is in control and that's what has to rule the day. But in reality, our lives are governed by the part, the largest part of our brain, which is emotional. And these parts of our brain, uh, the, the brain is like a layer cake. The lowest layer we share with reptiles, with lizards and fish. And this is the part of consciousness that is what you might call primal. And built on top of that is what you might call the mammalian brain, which is primarily emotion. And then the tiny little layer on top, which where we get rationality from is the neocortex. But the neocortex isn't running the show. 
<laughs> the mammalian brain and the lizard brain is running the show. And those are moved only by emotion. And you have to open a conversation with that part of yourself because what's, what happens with your life as you're going through your life, you're experiencing life and a lot of people are dragged along kicking and screaming with choices they're not really happy about. Um, the relationships are not good. Um, there's problems on every side and it's just a never ending, you know, drama storm, if you will. And, um, people, uh, it's, it seems complicated and it seems difficult, but in reality, it's really not. It's about opening a conversation with your inner self. And when you've done that and you begin to listen, and that's very difficult for us. We don't like to listen. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control and you have to let go of that. And uh, the ego thing too, just let go of that for a while. Let go of all of these messages that are being beamed at you constantly by society, by uh, all these people in authority, by loved ones. Just let it go and open that conversation, have that conversation and understand what really matters to you and what you love and, and, and be kind to yourself this way. And when you do that, okay, things start flowing a little bit and things are a little bit smoother. And ultimately you come to a point where you're at peace with yourself and you accept yourself. And ultimately you learn to love yourself. You forgive yourself for the things you've done. And then finally you can extend that to others. And that's when love begins flowing in your life. And that's what really matters is you want to have a life that's filled with love and life and laughter. And that is what matters. And that was, that's what makes a happy life. And it starts with just having that inner conversation, which is so difficult for us here, especially in the United States, because th there's no room in our day for having an inner, inner conversation. So for the average person who's listening, I would suggest set aside five minutes before you go to bed and just do nothing maybe a simple breathing exercise where you count your breaths and just allow a little bit of calmness into your day at the very end and do, do that on a regular basis. And what you'll find is that you enjoy that so much that it begins to expand a little bit. And then it goes from five minutes to maybe 15 and then half an hour. And when you're in that state, that's where the conversation can begin with your inner self. And that's where the healing can begin. And I would say that's where that's the road that leads ultimately to where you do create a happy existence, which again, once the bills are paid, you don't need a lot. Um, what you need are people you care about and love. And, and that's what matters. Uh, what matters is to have a healthy relationship with yourself where you're not trapped in your mind. And the only way to unlock that door is to have that conversation with a part of yourself that actually governs your day-to-day -day life. The part that really does run things and that we so often try to order around, but kind of ignores us really. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That, I think that's very well put. What it, and I like what you talked about it. I never really thought about it like that is just, you know, the emotional side of us is actually the largest side, you know, of the brain and that's what's running things. And the idea to pause and to go within and to, engage in that conversation with yourself and figure out what's most important. And 
some people will talk about inner child work or things like that. Well, we, we are all children. It's interesting that we will just carry the same thing forever. And another idea that I heard, I don't know if I heard this, but it's been coming up a lot lately, but you know, in my own mind, I wrote it down. I, I'm pretty sure I, I, I wasn't the original one on this, but it's like defining um, so a lot of people, I think, define themselves by their worst mistakes. If they're mm -hmm. a compassionate and they're a good person, they think about that mistake and they repeat it over. And um, that's, you know, they're just going to let that guilt and shame or whatever from that experience uh, stay there and just define themselves by whatever that experience is and don't allow themselves to move on. And so just by quieting the mind and opening that conversation that's how you develop the intuition that you're talking about that's how you start to just guide your life in a little bit of a different way to add another view because culturally you know the logical brain and the way that it works it actually can be manipulated and so mm -hmm. if you don't think so you know do not think of a pink elephant and that's mm -hmm. how the logical mind works it's it's more rigid it has a different operating system and mm -hmm. it can you can use fear tactics to make that thing want to stay in a box and not want to go outside the lines i just saw this really great example on a youtube video or something where it said um oh it was an iq test oh i think it was a denzel washington talk <laughs> i just saw come up and he's like you know he, there's an iq test where they'd say uh, draw five lines um in the on these dots right and the only way you could do it is you to draw outside the line right and I, i'd never even thought about that and i was like son of a gun you know what i mean i didn't try it but yeah. i was like oh i would think that i'd have to stay inside that line and i right. saw another example on youtube of um you know this insect and a person was drawing a circle and the insect wouldn't go outside the circle then he would draw a shorter circle and the insect wouldn't go outside that and it just closed and closed and how it just makes you think how much of your beliefs are holding you where you are? How much of how you think and how you operate is holding you? And if you're having that feeling, how do you break out of those beliefs? That's one of the things that I love. I know we talked a little bit before the show and I'd love to hear your advice on it. And mm -hmm. how do we understand what our limiting beliefs are and then um, move towards the most empowering beliefs and what are they? And maybe this question is one and the same, but in researching your, your tools and techniques, what is like your number one or two or three or whatever you want to share that you feel mm -hmm. is most impactful for somebody to like, I want to start doing this, open up this dialogue, please give me like a tool or a resource to get started. Mm -hmm. Of course. Absolutely. So, um, there's actually a bundle there to deal with. So I think I'd like to start with um, the three main things that control us in most societies, actually. Um, you might call the big one that governs daily life the social game, where the incentives and disincentives that society puts out there for us to kind of follow along and accept society's definition of what's good and important uh, ahead of what really matters to us that you might call external uh, external controls or the social game then there are ideas and belief systems and these also control us and there's many many there's thousands and thousands of them um, the most like one of the biggest ones is money uh, it's a purely imaginary concept it's only value is what humans assign to it it has no reality or external value uh, a piece of paper in a forest is just that it's a piece of paper you bring it into human society oh now it's a dollar bill that can purchase a good or a service but it's nothing more than an idea a construct and the same thing is true with time itself we have this belief and we all adhere to it and so we follow these rigid schedules and so on and so forth but without getting bogged down in that 
those ideas and belief systems. They're also very limiting and painful. And then finally, there are the internal controls that we internalize from children on and through adulthood. And it's like obedience training. And this is our self-image and our also our unconscious or shadow self. All of these things have uh, very, very strong controls over us. And so for the average person um, looking to break free, I would start with the things that are most painful, the things that are the most uncomfortable in your life. What are the things that you dislike the most about your life? And just spend a little bit of time. Um, and again, this is where that inner conversation begins. And just think about it and say, wait a minute, what is that? pain? What is the source of that pain? And almost always, it's a belief that we've accepted without questioning that's wrong. And, uh, you know, a good example would be, um, for example, for many, many people where they feel that they're pressured, that they have no time, that time is this rigid, horrible thing that's dragging them along, and they constantly have to do this and that and the other thing. And they just need to realize that the only force, the only aspect of time that's real is what they themselves ascribe to it. Time doesn't, time doesn't really exist. You could, if you had unlimited wealth, for example, let's just say in the West, you could throw away your watches, right? You could throw away your clocks because time doesn't matter. You would decide when you wanted to eat, when you wanted to sleep, when you wanted to go someplace. Okay, you have that power now. <laughs> you don't need unlimited wealth. You can decide what you want to spend your time on. Now, most of us have made choices that lead to this rigid schedule. But if you could just drop that for just a moment, you realize just how freeing that concept can be where you say, you know what? I'm not going to let all these external demands eat up my day. I'm going to decide what's important. I'm going to reprioritize my time. And that's, a, that's just a beginning step. So whatever it is that bothers you the most about your life, trace it all the way back. And almost always you're going to find a belief or an idea structure there that is forcing you to do something that you've accepted without question. But in reality, you have the choice of whether or not to follow that. The same thing is true with your self-image. Um, and this is especially true for women um, who are constantly bombarded with uh, terrible um, demands and, you know, the fashion industry and beauty and makeup and all this stuff. And uh, because they're targeted for that. And so their self-image is constantly being attacked. You know, if you don't have this particular look, if you don't have this particular shape, if you don't have this particular makeup or perfume or whatever, you're not going to be beautiful or great. So uh, if you really dig down a little bit and realize that your self-image, you're accepting these values, you're accepting this message that's being beamed at you that, Oh, I need to be skinny. Oh, I need to be beautiful. Oh, I need to have this. I need to have that. In reality, that's, that's some marketing advertisers idea that they're beaming at you and you're accepting and you're trying to change your whole life to fit 
what this marketer thinks you should do. But you don't have to do that. You can choose. You know what? I don't care what they think. I could care. You have, you have to reach that point where you can say, you know what? What matters is what I think is important. What matters is what I think has value. To hell with all that other stuff. And just, I'm going to ignore it. And I'm going to move forward on the basis of what matters to me. And so you need to look at those things that are most painful to you and trace them to their source and then really give it a good hard questioning and try and decide and say, is this something that is important to me? Is this something that has value? Is this something that I should follow? Or is this really bad advice? Is my life being lived according to somebody else's dream? So that would be the, that's the beginning. That's the beginning steps. And very quickly, once you begin this process, the scales kind of fall from your eyes and you realize just how much of your life is controlled externally and is controlled by self-image that's negative, um, is controlled by ideas that are painful to you, uh, values that you don't hold that are not true. Um, society is cruel. Society is unjust. Most people are losers in society. That's the way it's designed. And um, they're defined that way. And so when you step back and you say, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to accept those values. That's not what's going to run my life. You're, you're opening the door from that prison to freedom. And you're able to step free of that and recreate a life that is valuable and is meaningful for you. It's not... Uh, as difficult as we would think it is. It really just requires pausing and a true, true examination of where your head's at and where your life is at. And, uh, you know, having the strength and courage to follow through once you realize what it is that is uh, important and just how painful life is for so many people because they accept without question the values that have been imposed on them. Mm. Yeah, man, those are those are fantastic examples and insights. And what I think about is the idea, you know, like an increased quality of consciousness or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? I used to when I was younger, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to read all these books on the enlightenment and, and, and read Zen and, and go to meditate with monks and become a Zen master, meditate for thousands of hours or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And then I'll be have this consciousness where I'm floating around on a cloud and everything is hunky dory <laughs> and it's going to be the best <laughs> hasn't happened yet. Still trying. And right. the idea I think that when, with what you're speaking about is when we start to define uh, our values, when we start to look in, when we start to ask ourselves really important questions about who we are, how we want to experience life, what we want to do here, mm -hmm. it's more of a process of letting go than acquisition. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're in this mindset right now of acquire, acquire, acquire more, fit into these different molds. And all of these are external agendas, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's coming from media and it's like you want to look a certain way from the fitness industry. Now we've got the, so, the self-help wellness industry, which mm -hmm. I'm definitely a part of. And I've also noticed there's a lot more, um, let's say, what do you call it? like shiny things, um, mm -hmm. like 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 bells and whistles that don't need to be there. You know what right. I mean? Um, right. I was on a podcast today, uh, the uh, what is it, the University of Adversity with Lance. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's, it's <laughs> SEOs or something like that. It's interesting. Uh -huh. uh, you know, I was thinking about this example because you know we're in this culture of now biohacking and the quick fix. 
quick fix to enlightenment, quick fix for this, quick fix for your life purpose, all that kind of thing. And I'm right. looking for those things. I think strategies are good and I think uh -huh. we should look for them. And there's also hard work. And so I gave him the example of training with the Shaolin monks when I was in China. And uh -huh. at this one point, we do this run on Fridays and we run up and down this, uh, these steps and it was like steps and, and trail and steps and trail uh, up in the mountains as many as we could do for a time period. I think it was an hour or two. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people would bear crawl down. Right. And so mm -hmm. I decided to bear crawl down this one time and um, right at the first quarter, I was only going to do a little bit because it's hard and it hurts mm -hmm. your hands. And mm -hmm. so there's a seafood that's waiting there and um, he turns around and he starts following me. I was like, Oh shoot. So I end up going like, I'm already tired. I keep pushing. I keep pushing. I keep pushing. He's just walking beside me. I'm, I'm toast. He grabs a stick that's in the forest and he just starts every time I flop down, he's hit me with this stick. You know what I mean? <laughs> I end up going like, like five times as far as I could imagine. I went right down to the bottom and I never ever would have accomplished that if he didn't give me the, you know, the physical motivation and kind of a supportive, but also hard way. But it showed like what I was capable of within my own body and no like biohacking or, um, you know, shirt you're going to wear or like crystal or meditation is going to help that. We have good processes that help, but it's also showing up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's also like mm -hmm. very grounded and very real. And what you're suggesting is very grounded and, and very real. And just like, okay, we do want to get to these spaces. We need to get clear and define that. A lot of it might be okay. You know what? It's not so much about the image. These things are less important than I thought, or I need to learn to let those ideas go. So maybe you make a little less money and do what you love. One of the examples you know, I'll give is like when I was snowboarding in Whistler, what I wanted to do most at that time in my life was snowboard. And I figured out a way to snowboard 130 days a year in one of oh, the best awesome. resorts. And it was amazing. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah. And it was awesome. And as I've moved along from the experiences that were passion, I learned a lot. I had a lot of great experiences. It then evolved into something else. And then I'd say, you know what? This has been great. But now I'm being pulled somewhere else. It's not being pulled by anything else. It's almost like nature or spirit or God is pulling you towards mm -hmm. what you want to become over mm -hmm. a lifetime. You know, it's like we define ourselves by our jobs and all these things that are ridiculous. You know, you're mm -hmm. not your job. You know, like, you know, right. you go to the forest and like, we're basically a bunch of advanced monkeys, you know, you, right. you, sure. you meet like an ET and you'd be like, yeah, I'm in marketing. Oh, I'm in fan finance. You're like, what <laughs> are you like a human? Like, I don't understand what you're saying to me. <laughs> and this whole construct of society is pretty much fake. It is like the matrix mm -hmm. where we're going around in a commerce society. Why are we so much a commerce society? You just need clothes to wear so you're warm to protect yourself from the elements. We're so far away from what is natural. And mm -hmm. I imagine having that experience in a cell where you're this, it's a natural way of living because it's so simple. It's so basic survival and so basic necessity. But from that ends up getting a clear mind if, if it doesn't go the other way of, of seeing, okay, how do I get out of this? Like your, your friend from the Northern tribe, like that's, mm -hmm as natural way of living and how do we merge, you know, this, this technology and this advancement of a, of a civilization without going away from what is natural. And it seems like the trend of all of these things that can improve our lives as a species, we're using them um, to kind of distort reality and distort our values. And I think that's where people get confused because these industries based on profit uh, are using psychological tactics to steer you in a way. So mm -hmm. it has to be up to you to go in and, and set your own compass 
and to know mm-hmm. your own direction. And I feel like that's what you're, you're really, you're sharing in a very simple way that it doesn't need to be fancy with glow sticks or whatever the case. Right. Be. Right. Because really what it, what it comes down to is that whole thing of self-actualization or self-realization where it's an unfolding of your true self, the person that you were born to be. And when, when you allow that to happen, that is, that's when you reach fulfillment and that's where happiness comes in. And you just create little spaces. Like for example, yourself, you were blessed, able to pursue that wonderful passion of snowboarding, which is just incredible when you're able to follow your dream or, or, or you know, training with Shaolin monks. That's incredible. That's a wonderful experience. People, if they could just make even a tiny sliver of the day where they're connecting with something that they really love, that's enough to pry that door open. And for myself, I love nature. And uh, in Thai prison, it was all around us because we were in a, we were living in a swamp. Uh, Bong Kwang prison is built in a swamp. And so there was all kinds of creatures. Um, They had these canals crisscrossing the prison and they were filled with snakes and uh, kind of mean snapping turtles and frogs. And I mean, it was crazy. It was like all this stuff, all this life we're surrounded by, but you can engage with it and nature is there to be engaged with. And so this riot of plant and animal life that we were surrounded by, you can develop a relationship and it's just like the animals and plants that surround our homes. We don't connect with them, but it's easy to do that. Um, you could turn your own home into a nature preserve just by not cutting things, opening a water source, like leaving a, fa- a faucet on drip or having a fishbowl, you know, having a, 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 you know, a little, a little wash basin, if you will, with water in it for animals and turning off your lights at night. And that is enough to attract wildlife. Now, you know, if you want to go the whole hog, that's not really difficult either, where you get out the invasive plant species, plant some plant species native to your region. And now you're going to attract some real wildlife to your, to your uh, little space. And before you know it, if you're quiet and you're still, you can spend a little time every evening and get to know the animals and plants that live in your neighborhood. And, and they are your neighbors. And that's a tremendous change from the mechanistic world that we live in to realize that there's other intelligences, there's other things that exist around us that we don't acknowledge. Um, But it doesn't have to be that, it can be anything, but you want to connect, you need to connect. And that is where it begins. And that, that unfolding of your true self, that reordering of your priorities, that shift in your life is really what is vital. And, um, it just takes that first couple of steps because the next thing you know, it's like a reinforcing cycle, a virtuous cycle. The more that you do that, the happier life becomes, the more fulfilled you are. And you realize, wow, I have devoted my whole life to nonsense. (laughs) I I have been chasing this dream I've been sold that is a nightmare. And when you awaken from that, now, now you're beginning what you might call enlightenment or, or higher consciousness, where you, you realize that all of these things are available to you, that there's a tremendous amount of power in that. And you uh, achieve self-empowerment. You free yourself from all of the chains and traps that we are trapped in in the West that keep us following a path 
that I would call false. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, as of recent, I've been trying to figure out, you know, the definition of like higher consciousness or, or enlightenment, right? And, and right mm-hmm. now, I think one of the ideas around that is just um, designing life based on what you want to do and mm-hmm. more freedom. And mm-hmm. so if you're kind of like feeling like you're a prisoner and it's got to be this one way and this one job and this one thing and there's no other way, well, that's probably not true. But when you go and reflect and redefine things and reorganize, you realize that you actually can start to shift things in a way that you would prefer. And I like what you said also about, you know, taking those first steps, because I think that the universe is going to support you. It's going to help you because you also touched about, touched about like the animals and, and things like that. We live in this culture where it's just like, get out of here, rat, you know, get out of here, stupid bird. I'm like, where is the bird? Where do you think it lives? You know, what I mean? Where do you think these things live? Why do you think that you're better than that? Because this, there's a wall there. You know what I mean? If something yeah. happens. These walls are going to go down. Those critters are going to get in and you're going to be gone. They're probably <laughs> going to be fine because they live in harmony with the environment. You know, it's right. so um, we don't want, we don't want to engage with that. Like that's, it's like, it's not a part of life or we're kind of like when you were sharing the story about nobody seeing you, you know, it's like, we're shutting that whole bits of information off. And just, you know, recently I had a daughter and I've heard this said before I've noticed babies. Right. But I never, you know, I was like, wasn't like a big, huge baby lover. Like people are like, uh-huh. Oh, look at the baby. I don't really care about that. <laughs> I care about my baby now, but um, I was never one of those people everywhere is babies. Now mm-hmm. I gave everywhere I look at, Oh my God, I couldn't see more babies. Right. And, you know, it's opening that field of information because now my, my body is probably recognizing you have one of these. And so you mm-hmm. need to be picking up information about how <laughs> to, you know what I mean? Support this thing and how to do those things. And so when we open up our focus to our environment, that is, that's spiritual. That's, that's, that's Mm -hmm. higher consciousness in a sense that we're getting all this information. But the thing is that we equate this, this like higher consciousness or this thing with the success and it has to be material. Oh, Mm -hmm. well, you have a, you know, you're like those, uh, again, the Hill tribe people, people will be like, Oh, well, that's not success. Well, they're probably, you know, more whatever you would perceive to be enlightened or higher conscious than any billionaire on the planet. They mm-hmm. would know how to survive. They're super connected to nature. They're probably more spiritual than any spiritual leader like the Pope. Um, any mm-hmm. way more spiritual than, you know, me or somebody who runs a spiritual podcast, you know, because they're living it, they're being it. It's simple and 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 it sounds like they're doing it in their own way. And so we all have option here to create our life. And mm-hmm. we all have the power, we all have the universal spark, we all have source spirit, all that in each and every one of us and it's in animals and it's in plants and it's in all of us. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with that? Now, how do we navigate? And and what you're speaking about is the simplest idea of just really connecting with, with what's true to you and Mm -hmm. trying to let go of the stuff that doesn't serve you and, you know, get, get connected and and let go of those like false things that are kind of like, uh, there's a term for it, but it's kind of like um, the golden calf theory or something Mm -hmm. where you get it and then it just vanishes, you know, these Mm -hmm. false false exciting things it's just like you don't want those you guys get what i'm talking about i hope um so so, um what i want to ask man this has been just wonderful super insightful and empowering and and everything that you said was just so grounded and and put in a way with a level of experience that if if anybody could imagine what that's like it's so intense uh i you know i'm just imagining it but is there anything that you wish that i had asked or that you would like to discuss before we we uh close it out the, the only thing that 
um, I would just like to leave re listeners with that I think is really super important. And you, there's almost a movement of it now. You do see a lot of it is that emphasis on kindness. And it is, it is a, a big growing movement. Um, but I think that people, uh, that's really where it begins. And just be kind to yourself a little bit. Be gentle with yourself. And realize that, you know, we're not kind to ourselves. We don't take care of ourselves. And the same thing is true with your loved ones. The people that are most important to you is just be a little bit kinder, a little bit more compassionate with them. And that's the road to take because when you begin to give love, that's when it flows into your life. And um, I know that it's easy to get lost in, uh, you know, discussions, metaphysics of it and all these different things where people kind of go off on, um, I don't know, they go off in tangents, if you will. But um, to keep it really grounded and, and really simple, I would really urge people to start by just doing some very simple kindnesses for themselves. Things that they really love, bring those into your life. The people that you're closest to you, your, your, you know, your partner, your um, nearest and dearest, do some kindnesses for them, just, just out of generosity with no expectation. And that begins a cycle that is absolutely wonderful. And I think that there, there's a power in that that's immense, that it unlocks a wonderful doorway. And um, so I would just urge people, if, if you can't find anything else, just focus once a day on doing something kind for yourself and maybe doing kindness to somebody that you love and, and let that be kind of a guide for you. And I don't think you could ever go wrong with that. And uh, so that's something that is really simple that, that anybody could do that would is transformative. Uh, but I, I just would like to leave listeners with that because I know a lot of people seem lost in today's society and they get caught up in things that uh, are really painful and negative. And um, just doing a kindness for yourself and your loved ones and you're, you're not going to go wrong. It, it, that's the right way. That's the right path. Beautifully said. And I'm so grateful you said that. Um, I know that you listen to a few podcasts, but it reminds me of this quote. And I looked it up and, and some people say the Buddha didn't say this. I don't know if he said it or not, but um, the, the quote is, and I like the quote, you yourself as much as anybody in the universe deserves your love and affection. Mm -hmm. And a good friend of mine, who's one of my spiritual teachers, I'd say is David Lone Bear, And he has a 20,000 year history of the star teachings. And mm -hmm. the first three of these teachings are kindness, compassion, happiness. Mm -hmm. And so often he'll talk about kindness to yourself first mm -hmm. and how important that is to engage as a society and how challenging it can be to be just so uh, mm -hmm. hard on yourself all the time. And the best spiritual teaching that I've ever heard was from him. And he said, do three kind acts a day. Go out of your mm. way to do it and don't tell anyone. Mm. And he, Beautiful. He, yeah. And so that's what you're speaking about there. And so when people listen to the podcast and I ask them to support, say the best thing that you can do is one kind act in the community. If this is doing anything, if, you know, I think about, you know, is it like, am I speaking the truth? Like, I'm not sure what's going on here. You know what I mean? I'm trying my best. <laughs> Maybe in two years, it was like all wrong. And I was like, do whatever they wrong. And like, it could be, you know, I was like, oh no. But um, <laughs> I, I try and I'm like, you know what? If, if you through this podcast and listen to all that, but then do something kind in your community then it was working at least a bit yeah. you know what i mean yeah. 
and, and and it's and it's an action we go right out of theory to action and it's so mm-hmm. simple and that's the way you know that's probably how again that that tribe lived is just they take care mm-hmm. of each other it's just a way of life it's it's not expected you just show up to show up and it and we need to get back to that that grounded nature that spirituality in action just to be a good human you know i don't mm-hmm. care if your chakras were aligned before you did the nice thing <laughs> they could have been totally out of whack and you gave me a hand totally cool man let it slide thank you so much and so let's focus on the the meat and potatoes and so just an absolute uh beautiful ending and i'm so glad that you said that where can people find more about you and and is there anything that you'd like to add on to that last statement that i shared sure um i'm really interested in engaging in conversation and uh so anybody that's a listener uh i'm really accessible um just go to lastinghappiness.net and uh post a comment and you'll hear back from me. And I, I love criticism. Uh, a lot of people don't like it or, or feel upset by it, but I, I love it because what it does is it, it's revelatory. It gives you insights and it helps you change for the better. And I love that. And so if, you, if there's anybody that is interested in this, uh, go to lastinghappiness.net and uh, post a comment somewhere. There's a bunch of stuff there. Um, there's a bunch of interview questions that I've answered. Um, there's a, a rather deeper biography there uh, with some video stuff. A um, bunch of neat stuff there on the site. And uh, of course the book is available also, but uh, I would love to have a conversation with listeners. And so anybody that wants to kind of question or um, you know, has anything that they want to know more about, please engage. And I'd love to love to engage with listeners on that. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your work. Thank you for surviving that crazy ordeal and living to <laughs> tell us about it and, and share those simple philosophies. And, uh, and then just actually, you know, take the time to work towards it because it's one thing to figure out where you'd like to go. And then it's another thing to walk it each and every day. And yes. I see you doing that. So thank you for doing that. I, I appreciate everything you share tonight and, and the work you're doing. So thanks for coming on the show, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. It was a pleasure and a privilege. Awesome, man. Well, we'll be in touch. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you later. All right. Good deal. Thank you.